0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Director's Briefing. Today, we're going to be talking about the big issue of levelling up. It's been off the agenda for quite a while now with Brexit and the coronavirus pandemic, but it's very much back on the agenda as everyone looks to the longer term situation in the UK and indeed globally. Uh, Today, I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Tej Parekh. Welcome Tej. And I am Joe Fitzsimons, Senior Policy Advisor here at the IOD. So Tej would you mind telling us a little bit about what the problem is with levelling up here in the UK at the moment? Sure I mean I guess right now levelling
1: up is mainly a a slogan but ultimately it touches on the fact that the UK in terms of economic prosperity and productivity is is you know quite different so there's always been this kind of north south divide but there's also yeah. london and the southeast more generally being the most productive and um strongest potential for economic development compared to other parts of the country and ultimately you know this comes back to uh, the history of the uk's economic development and you know just just looking at it very quickly in, in the last 20 30 years the country has experienced Um, It's been part of, you know, wider trends in globalization and and technological change. And what we've seen is, is, you know, the the previous engines of growth for the country in in the Midlands and the North, which were the manufacturing hubs, were then exposed to globalization forces and um, weren't able to compete with, you know, lower cost um, hubs around the world. Uh, And then the globalization of finance. Uh, basically meant that places like you know London and the southeast uh, became major hubs for that and then we've seen this professional services and financial services industry develop around London and that's really kind of drawn in a lot of other business activity and a lot of other industries to to that part of the UK and you know the kind of upshot and the result of all of this is that you get very different levels of um economic growth and um different levels of um, economic activity, skill sets, um, and investment across the country. You know, the bulk of foreign direct investment comes into to London, the southeast. Now, the UK is in a unique position here because a lot of other developed nations, to some extent, have been able to develop strong brands for second and third cities. You know, in the U.S., you can look at cities across the West Coast and the East Coast. We know in Germany that's the case as well. You've obviously got hubs in Berlin, Frankfurt. I think in, in the U.K., it's less visible. You know, London is to some extent head and shoulders above Manchester and Birmingham. And what this basically means is if you don't have cities which are like you know, the, they generate economic growth for the region around them. If you don't have them across the country, then you do tend to get this pattern of low economic growth and huge differences in economic growth. And London has become a bit of a, a powerhouse. Now, this isn't a, a new story. We've known this for a long time, and successive governments have tried to deal with the issue of, um, you know, regional inequality, and obviously not known as levelling up back then, but you know we've we've had various different iterations of regional industrial strategies and I think part of the problem that we are looking at leveling up now is it's we have a very mixed policy and institutional approach to how we actually manage our um, regional growth we had regional development agencies in the past that would act as hubs those have been switched over time we then have um, local enterprise partnerships, we have different local authorities and local councils. So there's a bit of, you know, uh, a bit of confusion in how the local to national kind of growth story is coordinated. So I'd say that's the first thing that really needs to be looked at. The second is really touching on the point that I just made about, you know, cities. Uh, we need to find a way in this country to develop regional specialisms. And, you know, there there is obviously natural regional advantages in parts of the country um you know whether you're looking at um, the potential for for grow it, growth of uh um d sectors in the southwest of the country and you know advanced manufacturing in the north and different startup communities in the east um, there needs to be a way to better harness the regional specialisms of, of our different regions and we don't do that very well now Part of the reason why that is the case is that a lot of investment, both, you know, financial investment into businesses and both investment into public services, whether that's education, infrastructure, a lot of that tends to kind of be be sucked into to London and the Southeast because that's where the existing economic activity is and that's where you get the bigger bang for your buck. So we need to find ways to redistribute uh, well, not necessarily redistribute but you know um, disperse money and, and finance uh, better across the country. and part of the challenge here is is um, insufficient devolution, so not enough control for local parts of the country to actually control their own kind of policy environment and to develop their own specialism at a local governance level, uh, but also you, you know you haven't had that decentralization of of, of money as well. Um, enough to allow local areas to fund the types of projects and investments they need. Um, So essentially, not enough local decision-making at a local level basically means you're going to get a bit of a disjointed kind of growth policy narrative. And, you know, I think building on that, that last point is we've to some extent seen a lot of trade talent and investment kind of drawing itself into london and you know parts of the north and other parts of the country have you know suffered from a lack of investment particularly in digital and physical infrastructure as a result and there hasn't really been an attempt to regenerate areas where there's been industrial decline or you know loss of loss of big employers Uh, due to competition globally and and that's basically meant you've got what was politically known as left behind areas in the country so these are typically old manufacturing hubs rural areas and coastal areas that never really experienced a form of policy support to transfer its economy from the old to, to new or to kind of help retrain and reskill people and I mean just touching on that last point uh, you know, w- one thing that I think is underappreciated is often, you know, there's also been a bit of a talent drain. We know that people are a key driving force behind economic growth, and you know, often what we see in this country are people graduating in different parts of the UK, but then ultimately um, the most lucrative jobs are are in London. So you see, you get a bit of a brain drain um into London and and actually that's why I wanted to ask you Joe um from your perspective on on the skills and education brief you know there is obviously that angle to levelling up as well isn't there
0: yeah definitely i mean the the issue you've mentioned there around sort of the brain drain and that kind of um attraction towards uh, certainly the south and and indeed some other metropolitan uh, areas as well is really significant and it's had an increased impact on Economies up and down uh, the, the the UK um, over a prolonged period of time now, um, and and the issue is around sort of the access and the support to high quality and flexible learning and development not actually being very well distributed um, across the UK. And there is a large focus on some of the tech hubs and and other areas in, for example, London. Um, and there has been many developments around things like the the skills and post 16 education bill in recent time uh, to make it easier for adults and young people to to study more flexibly and that's something we're huge supporters of indeed our members really need that access to flexible uh, modular bite sized learning um but it comes back again to that infrastructure piece really um even even sort of broadband speeds and other uh, parts of our infrastructure, not necessarily providing equity of access to this type of flexible uh, learning that that individuals can really benefit from. Um, I suppose the, the key challenges on skills remain uh, around sort of leadership, management, and um, having come through this very difficult period, access to digital, high quality digital skills is going to be really key for organizations as they look to kind of remain sort of uh, Flexible in their approach to work. About 70% of our members are saying that they'll adopt a hybrid approach to work moving forward. So leadership and management will be key in that situation where you've got this new way of, of, of um, leading organizations and teams, but also uh, that, that access to digital. So there's a lot to overcome. And and again, for for our members and indeed for SMEs, the challenge is around knowing where to start to address these skills gaps. So we've got lots of sort of financial incentives at the moment, which has been some help. But it's really that sort of very broad menu of skills uh, offerings that make it very challenging for SMEs to actually decide where they can begin to help their people and help the organization to, to develop and to uh, bridge some of those gaps. So you've got sort of uh, vocational routes to, to training around sort of apprenticeships. There are T levels and and, and traineeships and, and so on and so forth. Um, there are sort of very traditional routes to uh, university qualifications and uh, further education qualifications, but it's just knowing where to go and how to bridge those gaps um, uh, in the best way that that's going to be really key. Um, and Tej, I suppose it'd be really helpful if you could um, Talk to us a little bit about those sort of you've touched on them already but some of those solutions to the 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 leveling up agenda in a broader sense and um, what what should the government be doing at this point to support the leveling up agenda over the coming months and indeed years
1: yeah well in uh july uh, 2019 we released a report called uh, connected economies people and and places and and actually many of the recommendations we we put in that still still really stand today and are are relevant i mean i can we had an eight point list i won't won't go into too much depth in all of them but but just just to briefly look at those i I think the first thing needs to be developing a stronger institutional framework so just having a strong connectivity between the local the regional and the national And, and what i mean by that is is we need to be able to monitor parts of this country that are at risk from, you know, losing a major employer or at risk of, you know, being vulnerable to global or future trends. And, and you know, that way the national, regional and local can communicate and, you know, the policy can also turn at the same time. And I think we've, we've got that wrong. And I think, you know, just one thing to look at is we know the Industrial Strategy Council was effectively abolished recently, but i would have thought an institution like that that basically has a mandate to monitor um the industrial strategy or, or the or regional growth across the country is a useful tool and mechanism because then we can see how productivity gaps are growing across different parts of the country and we can actually kind of you know risk assess and horizon scan for for weaknesses in, in economies across the UK. So I'd say i say that's the first, you know, uh, bucket of things to look at is, is certainly the institutional element. Um, and I mean, linked to that institutional point is we actually have um, an opportunity in the UK, relative to some of those other countries I mentioned, US and Germany, and that we do have institutions, you know, well distributed across the UK that can act as hubs for um, leveling up and those are our universities. You know, we have we have the greatest kind of distribution of world-class universities across the UK. You know, they're not all centered in London um, to act as these hubs. And I think we need to find better ways to utilize universities as a convening point for local stakeholders, businesses, uh, local enterprise partnerships, councils, policy makers um, to help kind of organise how local kind of growth plans. So that's the first kind of broad point I'd make. Um, we know that devolution is a work in progress and the government is endeavouring to kind of distribute more political say and power to local areas. And we know the the mayoral network has been working you know, well, well, in some places. So I think that's an important element. But one of the things that I I also alluded to is making sure that the finance also gets to local areas as well. Um, now I think we need to be quite innovative in this. It's not a case of just ensuring that local areas can retain more tax revenue. We know. There's been this kind of experiment with retaining more business rates revenue, but it, I think we should be thinking at things like um, developing local level um, economic investment funds. You know that could draw upon retained revenues, public sector pension funds, or income from commercial public assets in the same way that urban wealth funds, for example, collate public revenue streams, put them into kind of investment vehicle, and drive build up revenue long-term revenue that can then then be utilized to invest in local areas. Um, The reason why this is important is that we can't rely on the central government public purse to be doing this. We know that there's a high deficit and the government wants to work to reduce the level of debt. So we do need to find other ways to generate revenue and also to use the revenue that we do earn at a local level in a way that can, you know, we can earn some interest and savings on them to to drive uh, more investment in the future, so i think I think looking at that angle and also even looking at local authorities and local areas' ability to responsibly access and raise finance, uh, including through debt issuance and and their own investment funds is, is 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 something to look at on top of the various funds the government have already and now, so I think that's an important point um so as I've mentioned the institutional one is important and so is this kind of financial pillar. I think the other is to to look at how we can incentivize uh and and regenerate certain areas now I was mentioning left behind areas now the problem with left behind areas economically is you lose like an anchor employer that is you know the bulk of the economy it provides a lot of the jobs. When that employer leaves, you're left behind with a lot of people who potentially are unemployed there's not enough jobs and this creates this kind of cycle of deprivation and and, and leads to these kind of cycles of impoverishment and and there is a case to come into these areas and to provide one-off regeneration incentives uh, whether that's you know business rates relief whether that's other forms of tax relief to drive up investment whether that's Tax relief to drive up investment, startups, um, retraining and skilling. I think there's a real case to temporarily provide incentives to to reboost these areas, to regenerate some business and economic activity, to then kickstart that that kind of return to economic growth in these areas. So I think that is certainly something to to be looked at. I mean, everyone's spoken about the infrastructure point. You know, I'm not I'm not going to kind of go too much into that, but it. it the the point here is is it's not just about north to south connectivity it's about east to west you know how how do you connect the midlands with other midland cities to 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 really kind of harness and build those hubs um and how do you create networks across this country you know often you know uh, i've struggled with this myself you often have to come into london to go back out to other parts of the country and you know that that needs to be heavily improved alongside the digital piece, which, as you mentioned, is going to be incredibly important now with the kind of rise of remote working, which I personally think could provide a boon to regional areas, because if more people are going to be working from home, you have more people staying in local areas, potentially more people living further outside of London and not necessarily in commuter hubs just outside London. You could have a regeneration of local areas if, if you have this remote working. But that needs reliable broadband as well um, and so that just before i touched on that infrastructure point i wanted to say there's a bit of a low-hanging fruit point to make around just marketing regions better and what i mean by this is often our regions and, and nations um, are kind of overlooked on our on, on our on our trade missions um, and on various kind of trade shows and it's important for the international community to understand the brand of our different parts of our country. I think many people, investors or otherwise who come to the UK often think London is representative of the UK. And I think part of this is just there's just been very poor marketing, uh, both from a business perspective of the opportunities and an investment perspective and also from a tourist perspective about what is available around the UK. So yeah I mean, just a quick summary. I'd say institutional, uh the financial, the incentives, and then also this kind of marketing point alongside infrastructure are going to be the the key areas I think to focus on. and um I mean yeah I, I asked you about the kind of the skills angle. I mean, what do you think on the on the skill side is important to to improve the leveling up of skills across the country?
0: Yeah I mean I I agree with everything you've said there and I think on skills specifically um there's that there's a really big piece around providing local funding providing access to local um development that's been fed into by employers and 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 all of the local actors that are really important to include in that conversation it's it's about sort of recognizing those things you've described around specific gaps that may sort of sit in different regions or nations or or areas of uh, the the UK um, and the kinds of the the what's really important is bringing everyone all the stakeholders who are involved in the debate into the conversation and making sure that they have a seat at the table and um, so that includes you know universities colleges employers entrepreneurs local authorities training providers the whole sort of mix of stakeholders so that they can sort of work together um, to navigate these uh, these gaps and and fill them. So as part of the, the Skills for Jobs white paper, we've begun to learn a little bit more about local skills improvement plans, LSIPs. And so they're going to be really important moving forward. And it's about sort of bringing those actors together. But what's really important with these will be making sure that there is very, very uh, uh, thorough coverage across all uh, geographical locations, but also making sure that everyone all the organizations that should be involved and all of the voices that should be at the table are able to uh, to participate um, and are included Um, there are other really exciting developments that will help individuals sort of take more ownership of their own uh development and their own lifelong learning and that will undoubtedly help sort of avoid future gaps of of the kind that we've been seeing around leadership management and digital Um, so we have the new uh, lifetime learning loan entitlement that, again, was uh, mentioned in the Skills for Jobs white paper. But what we need to see with that is is sort of that that's not due to sort of come about for many years still. I believe it's 2024. Um, but what's really important is that the, while they're likely to be some kind of, we would imagine some kind of income contingent loan for individuals, it's really important that the messaging is, is, is there to support the uh, structure to make sure that individuals understand that it is a different type of debt to other types of debt and that that it is income contingent because there are those sort of misconceptions that exist around sort of existing student finance and so on. Um, But also making sure that the types of things people are, are uh, types of training and learning and development that people are undertaking are actually moving towards filling those gaps that we're seeing in the labour market at the moment. So... You know the gaps in the future will of course be very different from what we faced in the past um or, or at least there will be other gaps we know that uh, green uh, green jobs are going to be a huge uh item on the agenda moving forward as we move towards our net zero ambition as a nation um and you know you could argue that all jobs will indeed be green jobs in the future so it's it's about sort of understanding how can that type of um, uh, how can that be embedded in all of the learning and development? And the same for core skills, the kinds of core skills that our members are sort of always seeking. How can those core skills be embedded in all of the training and, and, and learning and development? So it's, I would say, sort of a complex <laughs> and long road ahead, but there is um, a lot of positive development with the, you know, the contents of the Skills for Jobs white paper and, um, you know, our, our members are very keen on vocational routes to training like apprenticeships again, one of the key challenges there around those vocational routes is it's, it's very clear to individuals what the route to a university degree is. It's sort of very well uh, laid out and, and signposted and it's very, it's, it's quite straightforward for an individual to sort of decide they are going to undertake a course of study and that that leads to particular outcomes. But actually vocational routes to, to learning and development will be and are already of equal importance and value to employers and to individuals. But it's just not as clear how what what exactly does that route look like and how exactly can individuals navigate it. So there's a lot of work there for the government to do around sort of helping to articulate these things for individuals and for employers and helping to make it as clear and, and sort of straightforward to navigate as possible. So, um, yeah, lots of uh, lots of work to do, I'd say, over the coming um, weeks, months and indeed years. But uh, that, that's been an incredibly interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Tej, for your time. Um, it was really interesting sort of exploring the levelling up agenda in more detail and having this sort of forward-looking conversation, because, of course, a lot of our conversations have been about the, the current situation with regards to sort of the end of the transition period and the uh, ongoing situation around the pandemic. But thank you for your time. And thank you to everyone at home who's uh, tuned in today. We'll be back again very soon with further updates and policy insights. Thank you.